You are listening to your home for Michigan Athletics. 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Located from the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. Save there. And rebound comes to Hunwick. Six seconds remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Gray Matters. My name is Jim Dwyer, and I'll be your host tonight for a half-hour overview of current events, media coverage of those events, and, of course, our uh, usual selection of brain damage awards, and in some cases, uh, actual plaudits, which are genuinely merited. Well, Dick Whaley is uh, away again on business, and so I'll be uh, doing the show solo tonight. Of course, we have more weather, uh, severe weather coming our way. The intense cold will return. It occurred to me last week that we've spent more time talking about <clears throat> weather this winter on Gray Matters than uh, I can ever remember. And, of course, usually the first thing that comes to mind is the great Mark Twain quote, uh, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. Well, of course, we've had numerous chances to do something about the weather. Uh, going back to the uh, early days of the Carter presidency, when uh, as a new president, uh, Jimmy Carter established a commission entitled Project 2000, which was the first time the federal government had taken a serious uh analytic overview of what are uh, the state of our natural resources going to be, given current trends, uh, at the turn of the next millennium. And, of course, a project of this nature was very uh, labor-intensive, uh, lots and lots of research required, uh, fact-checking, feet on the ground, etc. The project was finally completed um, very early in the Reagan presidency. And when this uh, completed document arrived uh, on his desk, uh, Reagan just sort of pushed it to the side and said, no, that, that's from the previous guy. I'm not interested. Don't care. Uh, fortunately, the folks who uh, worked so hard on that report uh, took it to publishers, and it was published uh, through outside, uh, actually through the Penguin publishing uh, family. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, lots of that stuff has come to pass. And so uh, it's not like we didn't have the opportunity to do something about the weather. Uh, the leaders in power at the time that the facts became fully and uh, rather clearly available chose not to do anything about it. So climate shift is just part of the world uh, in which we inhabit now. And so we're going to have to suck it up and deal with the vortex when it returns later this week in the winter that just won't end well another thing that just won't end unfortunately is stupid and uh stupidity of course is uh one of the basic uh building blocks of the universe i think uh, another quote from a great american artist frank zappa once said that stupidity is more prevalent than carbon and so therefore it must be one of the basic building blocks of our universe 
Well, uh, from our perspective here in the north of the country, uh, we tend to be baffled and amazed at some of the explicit stupidity associated with behaviors associated with the southern states. And, uh, of course, while Texas is often uh, the subject of such a preamble, Florida is uh, where we need to go first. And, of course, uh, we're talking about the recent trial, uh, rather hasty one, of Michael Dunn, the latest in the Stand Your Ground controversy that basically legitimizes the targeting of young persons of color. And it sort of creates, in fact, uh, the Florida legislator voted just today, which is adding stupid onto stupid. You've already got a bad law. You're going to readdress that law, but not to correct it or curtail it, but to expand it, which is indeed what they have voted to do. Well, there was an article in... The New York Times of February 20th, that's last Thursday, in which one of the uh, jurors has uh, come forward. She's not giving her full name, but she's photographed. She's been on television. And she said that uh, it was really down to three people who were against a first-degree murder conviction for Michael Dunn, age 47. Who By now, I'm sure all listeners have heard the details of this story. Um. Florida calls it a stand-your-ground law, but of course, uh, given that term and given the ambiguous language of uh, this law, what would we be talking about now if uh, one of those uh, young men in the van that uh, Dunn shot at also happened to be carrying a gun? And let's be generous and say that it, like Dunn's, was perfectly legal, registered, etc., etc., And they shot back. Well, since they didn't really do anything besides play some loud music uh, at a gas station, which apparently they did turn down when they were asked to. uh, So, like, what was wrong here is that's the beginning of, like, the head scratcher part of this. But let's just say that they had a gun and fired back. Well, would their rights be protected there? Are they standing their ground? Whoa, some guy's shooting at us. I got to shoot back. And so by expanding this law, Florida seems to be saying, hey, you know what? You can shoot your way out of anything here in Kroger's, uh, in in Florida, uh, at a Kroger's or a grocery store. Somebody's got their eye on the last box of Cap'n Crunch. Back off, mofo. Uh, I'm threatened. You're taking my daughter's favorite breakfast cereal, and I'm going to shoot you down. It seems ridiculous. Of course, it's a ludicrous example, but this is not what the law is supposed to do, turn uh, society into a a shooting uh, range. I mean, uh, the Wild West is something of legend, right? It's a sort of a rosy myth we've put over the ugly brutality of uh, the Western expansion of this country. And you know, the law slowly followed. Uh, you see a movie, uh, I think, which illustrates this uh, phenomena very well is the man who shot Liberty Valance, in which eventually laws come in, language comes in, culture and society comes in, and the uh, root and tootin' ways of the gunfighters are supposed to go away. Well, 
I think we need to start openly and honestly calling these uh, stand your ground guys what they are, uh, which is dickless paranoids. Uh, I, I know that's harsh language. Uh, technically, it falls within uh, protected language on uh, FCC. It's not obscene explicitly. Uh, but these are guys whose masculinity is so paper thin, whose sense of uh, ego and privilege is so overinflated that the intrusion of some unwanted element, oh, I don't like those people, whoever they may be, or I don't like that music, whatever it may be. I mean, if I'm at the gas station and I see some, hear somebody blasting the Rush Limbaugh program uh, loudly, that's clearly uh, annoying and obnoxious to me and is thuggish in and of its own right. And we'll talk about that word thug in just a moment. Am I going to shoot the guy because he's blasting uh, Rush Limbaugh or, you know, some rock group that I don't like? Maybe he's blasting the new record from Bizzle. Justin Bieber's attempt to redefine his career as a gangsta thug. Ooh, thug. There's that word again. Uh, tough, scary, badass, cool. Well, thug is also uh, very clearly becoming an acceptable replacement term for the N-word. And I think that was really articulated very clearly when it came up in the recent uh, controversy over the interview with uh, NFL star cornerback uh, Richard Sherman, whose name I couldn't recall in a previous reference to uh, that incident. Uh, he's no dummy. He's a Stanford uh, alumni and graduate. Um, and yet when he spoke with great passion after completing a brilliant play that sent his team to the championship. Uh, <laughs> he was criticized for, whoa, too much intensity, dude. Uh, he looks like a thug. Well, the word thug means criminal. And this guy's not a criminal. He's a highly paid professional athlete with uh, a, a college degree. Um, so thug means something else there doesn't it? And when these kids who uh, are just at the gas station, like anybody else, filling up, uh, can be denounced as thugs, and therefore uh, the shooting of them becomes uh, legitimized just by the uh, general uh, and over-generous use of that term, well then, we've got a serious problem here that's more complicated than just guns. Of course, the fact that somebody's ego could be so uh, tender and fragile that Oh, those guys are playing music really loud. Oh, I'm really scared. I'm going to have to get my gun because I'm just all... <laughs> These guys are so filled with fear. Zimmerman's the same. You know, you shoot the kid in the back because I'm... <laughs> Didn't like the way he looked at me. Uh, I taught high school for 15 years, and sometimes kids look at you with a certain kind of intensity, and you remember that they're uh, emotional, you know, creatures like yourself, and you stay calm. You remember that I'm the grown-up here, and I'm going to shrug this off as though it's nothing, even though it's really kind of bothering me because, well, that's what grown-ups do. You know, you recognize the situation for what it is and say, well, no good is going to come from having a freak out here. Let's just pay for the gas and go about our business. Uh, but no, this guy behaves like a paranoid, dickless fool and decides to shoot his way through. So I hope that uh, they are very successful in uh, prosecuting him to the fullest possible extent for the attempted murder of the others. The fact that he gets away with killing the one because he was standing his ground, but can be charged for attempted murder for the shots fired at 
The others, I mean, they're all together. It's not like this one kid was singled out. He just happened to get hit. It's ludicrous on its face. But again, this is the state of Florida uh, who gave us the hanging chad and uh, so forth. So I think Bugs Bunny uh, may have been right. Might be time to get out the saw. (laughs) So long, suckers. And just say goodbye to Florida. But unfortunately, that's not going to get rid of uh, white paranoia, uh, American racism, and just the fear of uh, simple verbal confrontation. You you can talk about things. Uh, Nobody has to win the fight. You can just make some eye contact and go, oh, come on, man, turn it down a little bit. And uh, they did. So, again, just a remarkable story and uh, very upsetting. So a brain damage award to those on the uh, jury who decided, well, this guy was legitimately scared, so I guess he had a right to shoot at these guys who didn't do anything wrong. Well, on that note, which is intensely stupid and sad and tragic, we go now to a uh, astonishing show of common sense and, dare I say it, even possibly progress on a completely different uh, issue. And uh, But, of course, this one involves money, and we shouldn't be surprised that... Uh, Money is going to uh, rush the advance of certain kinds of progressive change because there's profit to be made. There's no profit to be made from treating each other as equals, uh, except that we all gain by uh, an increasingly uh, inclusive sense of community, country, etc. But, oh, I'm dreaming there. I'm just, you know... Smoking the peace pipe, I guess. And speaking of smoking the peace pipe, that's what I want to turn to next, is this very interesting article from last weekend's edition of the Financial Times. I haven't seen any references to this anywhere else, so I'm going to share this article with you. Since Michigan is one of the states that has legalized marijuana for medical purposes, and of course a number of states, uh, most recently Colorado and uh, Washington State, have legalized it for general use, This uh, is raising some interesting problems uh, in the business world, which hadn't really been thought of before. But uh, the headline here in this article by Shannon Bond is Banks Cleared on Marijuana Trade. U.S. regulators issue guidance on legality. Industry remains wary of federal law. And she writes, U.S. regulators gave banks the green light to accept money from legal marijuana businesses, but cautioned that they expected financial institutions to conduct thorough due diligence and report possible criminal activity. The guidance put out by the Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN, and the Justice Department has been long awaited by a growing industry that has been forced to operate on a nearly wholly cash business. This document clarifies that banks can provide services to state-regulated marijuana businesses without violating federal money laundering or terrorism financing law, a FinCEN official said. Quote, this is a very complicated issue where we have state and federal laws that contradict one another, We hope through this guidance that we're going to give more transparency to the marijuana business in this country and allow law enforcement to do their job, the official said. 
But it was not clear that the guidance would be enough to reassure big financial institutions. Banking groups say Congress needs to change federal laws to reassure the industry. Eric Holder, the U.S. Attorney General, quote, cannot change the fact that marijuana remains illegal at the federal level and banks must follow all laws, close quote. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a few laws that banks find a way to violate, but we'll just play along here. Don Childears, uh, president of the Colorado Bankers Association, wrote in an editorial this week, uh, elections can bring a change in guidance and Holder's directive would be the fourth Department of Justice formal position on marijuana in recent years. Put simply, banks need the permanence of law versus changeable guidance, Mr. Childers wrote. The American Bankers Association, an industry group, issued a similar warning this month saying, quote, the only way to eliminate the risk of criminal prosecution for banks is if Congress changes federal statutes, close quote. However, assurances that they would not be prosecuted might warm some regional banks to working with the cannabis industry said Chris Crane of Forefront Advisors, a consultancy, before the guidelines were unveiled. Quote, it gives a lot of cover to the smaller banks, the community banks, the credit unions. It will make them more comfortable doing business out in the open, he said. Twenty states and the District of Columbia have legalized medical marijuana, while Colorado and Washington have gone further by allowing recreational use. It remains a federal crime, however, to grow or sell the plant. Banks, wary of being prosecuted for violating federal law, have shied away from accepting deposits from canna businesses, as they're called here. Growers, retailers, and many elected officials have called for a solution to the industry's lack of access to banking, which forces operations to deal in cash. Quote, it creates concentrations of cash in addition to concentrations of valuable merchandise and increases the risk profile, said Steve Berg of Arcview Group, a cannabis investor network. In Colorado, dispensaries have armed guards while growers bring suitcases of cash to pay licensing fees. Well, it's clear uh, to see that the uh, legalization for recreational use in Colorado and Washington has sort of changed uh, the money flow situation and, of course, the, the number of states that have uh, legalized it for medical purposes are already seeing benefits to their economies uh, from the licensing fees, uh, from the sales tax on the items sold. So there's a lot of money to be made and, of course, jobs are created through this as well. So to see the banks sort of moving towards, hey, we have to recognize this industry as something with real potential to grow, uh, it's just simply one of those situations where Lenny Bruce predicted uh, years and years ago that marijuana would be uh, legal within the foreseeable future because all the lawyers that he knew smoked it. Well, that was in the 19, early 1960s. <clears throat> and clearly, uh, Lenny was off by a few decades on that. But again, society uh, catches up with uh, logic in some cases uh, and runs from it in terror in other cases. Speaking of uh, logic and running and terror and so forth, uh, I mentioned Texas earlier. I have to include this because it's in the uh, most recent Harper's Index course in texas you can own as many guns as you want 
uh, and that's true probably throughout great parts of the country. <clears throat> but there are limits in Texas. For example, did you know that the maximum number of dildos that a Texan may legally own is merely five? Own all the guns you like, but only five dildos, please. Because someone could get hurt, I suppose. Uh, guns, no problem. Um, let's see here. I'd like to talk a little bit about the Ukraine. Uh, that's a sort of a developing situation and a very complicated one. Uh, and so I'll probably touch on it today and spend a little bit more uh, detailed time on it next week. <clears throat> but I do want to draw some dot-to-dots between a couple of headlines that appeared in a couple of different days' worth of papers. Um, we have here uh, an item from Stephen Greenhouse in the New York Times. I think this is uh, Saturday's paper. And uh, the headline is Gap to raise minimum hourly pay. Of course, there's been a big discussion lately. Uh, in last year, I think one of the most uh, interesting uh, developments in uh, American politics was the increase in minimum wage workers uh, speaking out about their desperate economic situations. We had lots of strikes uh, from fast food workers, and this was one of the most uh, interesting and uh, sort of quickly moving labor stories uh, of the last year. You know, the other one being Governors Walker and Snyder's attempts to uh, roll back against unions. But um, for the gap to take this step, saying, uh, telling its inform, uh, informing its employees last Wednesday that it would set $9 as the minimum hourly rate for its U.S. workforce this year and then establish a minimum of 10 next year. This is going to raise the pay for uh, 65,000 of its 90,000 American employees. And uh, basically, it says here, the uh, gap is making this move as many states consider raising their minimum wage. And as Republicans and Democrats debate a bill that includes a proposed increase in the federal minimum wage to $10.10 an hour by 2016. Uh, well, the Gap is going to benefit from this in a couple ways. So, yes, they're going to their payroll is going to go up, but uh, they're going to have happier workers. Happier workers work harder and are you know happier to serve the customers who were there to generate the revenue to begin with. Uh, it's probably going to uh, raise the element of uh, competition for those jobs. Hey, that's a better paying job. You know, you might have a better pool uh, to pick from. So by getting ahead of this, they're sort of anticipating what they're going to be possibly made to do anyway. And I think that's probably a pretty smart move. Uh, a related story, of course, also appears elsewhere in that same edition of the paper. That was in the B section, the business section. Up in the A section where the news is typically found, we have an item headlined. And this is by uh, also by Stephen Greenhouse. Uh, labor leaders see focus on wages as key to union and democratic victories. And this is something we've pointed out on Gray Matters uh, weeks and months ago. Uh, that This is an easy way for the Democratic Party to sort of appeal to either disinterested voters or voters on the fence. Um, the sort of Tea Party-led uh, fumbling of the Republican fiscal agenda has led to lots of anxiety, not just for working folks, but also for businesses uh, who find the rhetoric 
uh, of the Tea Party branch of the uh, Republican Party to be uh, dangerous and uh, reckless even. The other related article uh, in that same edition as the Greenhouse uh, article about uh, wages as a key to union and democratic victories, uh, this by Annie Lowry, uh, headline, Study Finds Greater Income Inequality in Nations Thriving Cities. And boom, there it is right there. That's the answer to the problem. Think about it this way. The better your city is doing, the more likely it is that there is a gross disparity in wages from the top to the bottom. And obviously they've got this little chart here uh, showing uh, the pinpointing of uh, the 50 largest U.S. cities shown on this sort of uh, X, Y axis and uh, households in the 95th percentile and all the way down uh, the spectrum. And it's a pretty interesting little diagram, rather difficult to convey over the radio, but uh, it speaks volumes just in the headline. Uh, the better off the city is doing, the more likely that there will be people in that city who are suffering greatly. Those are the ones who are underpaid. And let's face it, the great wealth of the others who are doing well in those cities that are thriving and prospering is built on the backs of those who aren't doing so well. And it sort of takes us back to the very beginnings of this country. And dare I say it, even to the beginnings of democracy itself, this is kind of the ugly, hidden reality of the origin of democracy is that it's only emerged in structures and systems and cultures and societies that were at least originally slave-based because someone had to do the work to create the leisure time for the elites to make the rules, shape the game, work the system. And here it is, born out yet again, even in an era where we do not have legal slavery, we have wage slavery. Uh, where those who struggle to uh, make it with their families, uh, you know, scraping by uh, with today's minimum wage, uh, education's out of reach, any attempt to uh, secure uh, a comfortable future for their children is uh, a fantasy in many cases, and uh, it leads to a lot of uh, desperation, anxiety, and uh, suffering, so... Put the two together and find a way to uh, do the math in uh, some, something of a more logical manner. Um, hmm, hmm. I'm going to save my Ukrainian stuff for next week, as I mentioned. Uh, I do want to uh, sort of acknowledge the passing of Bob Casal from Devo, who uh, passed away from uh, heart failure earlier this week. Of course, Devo is a great favorite of uh, many a CBN DJ and uh, listeners as well. Uh, Devo, a great band from the Midwest who had a lot of attitude and commentary and satirical uh, sort of way of looking at American life. And although they had just reformed for a new record last year, uh, sad to see Bob Cassell. Uh, pass and uh, today news that uh, Harold Ramis has died at age 69. 
probably most famous for uh, the role of Egon in uh, the classic film Ghostbusters. Uh, but he was also a writer of note, a director, and uh, was in a number of other great movies. And you should try to find his early work on SCTV. Uh, he sort of left the Second City orbit uh, just as they crossed over uh, onto NBC TV, sort of following Saturday Night Live there. But they began on Can Canadian TV. And it's a great, great comedy tradition there from SCTV. If you look around online, I'm sure you can find some uh, Harold Ramis clips. Uh, <laughs> he played a rival to uh, Joe Flaherty's Guy Caballero, uh, whose name was Legs something, and he would sit at the uh, table, the negotiating table. His legs were obviously being controlled, uh, fake legs, puppet legs, just flopping and flying all over the place. It was just hysterical. Um, and, of course, their Ben-Hur spoof back in the old Canadian days of SCTV. Uh, good stuff. Uh, sorry to see Harold Ramis go. Um, let's let's give him a little tribute. He's he, he's earned it. Well, it's six fifty nine, and just about time for Gray Matters to end. Uh, you should stay tuned for Yazoo City Calling. We'll be coming up next with the Down Home Blues. Not sure who's hosting tonight, but you'll hear uh, early music from the Great American Blues tradition. And that's uh, coming up over the next hour here on the frequency of 88.3 FM. That's WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Next week, I'll go into some of the details on this uh, Ukrainian thing, as well as some critiques and sort of roundabout defense of some of the, I think, inaccurate critiques of Putin. Let's face it, uh, there's not much to love with Putin, but it's also astonishing how he's badly misrepresented at the same time. And I think the New York Times may have been pranked over the weekend. There's a photo purporting to be of a pussy riot uh, girl being flogged by a Cossack. And uh, I'm going to predict that that photo is going to be proved to be uh, a staged photo. We'll see if uh, by this time next week that has been uh, cleared up. It, it looks very stagey to me. Uh, the girl supposedly being whipped is not in anything like a defensive posture. I think this is a, a publicity stunt that they've pulled a fast one on the New York Times. And we'll see if I'm right about that. I may be wrong, and I'll admit it if I am. But I've got a gut feeling. Uh, and I love the Pussy Rat Girls. I, I applaud their courage. Uh, the two young ladies uh, from that organization who spoke on the Stephen Colbert show about uh, three or four weeks ago uh, were very articulate, very thoughtful. Um, but this looks like a bit of a prank, a clever one. And uh, if, if it's if I'm right, a successful one, because The New York Times bought it. Uh, we'll see about that one in the uh, days to come, as well as more on the Ukraine. And I'll leave you with the fact that India, the country of India, is now the biggest importer of U.S. weapons. Well, that's great for the U.S. weapons industry, but um, why are they loading up on weapons? Well, they feel like they got to catch up with China. So, hmm, that can't be good. We'll talk about that and other things next week on Gray Matters. Stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling coming up next. <laughs>
Thank <laughs> you.